Luke 11, 37 to 53. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You're foolish, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approved of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God, is his, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been for all of the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus was outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for a wonderful service so far, a time of worshiping you, your son. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just continue to move us uh, through worshiping you now, through looking at your word. Uh, Would your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts through your word, Uh, apply it to our lives, and help us to follow Jesus by following his words. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we started by singing a little bit about uh, hearts. I think it was two songs ago we talked about my heart. Uh, I thought that was a nice tie-in uh, to the service. I don't know if that was planned, but good job if it was. Uh, and today we're talking about six warning signs of a heart problem. So as I was thinking about this, 
I began to think of my family's medical history when it comes to hearts. Uh, my, my, my uncle died of a massive heart attack, and my father, my dad, has had two heart attacks. And so I care a lot about heart attacks. That's one of the reasons I do CrossFit. <laughs> I just thought we'd just go ahead and start the service with that. Uh, but I think maybe some of you might have a, a family with a medical history of, of heart issues, heart problems, and so it's good to identify like warning symptoms of a heart attack. Or if you're having one, like you want to know, am I having a heart attack so I can go to the hospital? So I thought I would educate all of us today looking at common heart attack warning signs. So uh, there's a variety of, of warning signs. The first and the most obvious one is, well, if your chest starts to hurt, well, you might be having a heart attack. Or if you get like dizziness or uh, kind of uh, feeling nauseous, that's a sign. Uh, if your jaw starts to hurt or your back or neck starts to hurt, that can also be a sign of a heart attack. Uh, maybe you're familiar in the movies whenever someone has like a heart attack, it's always like my left arm's numb. Well, your, your arm could be numb. Uh, my, <laughs> my wife's correcting me. Uh, you can also feel just like nauseous, just uh, sick. And so these are all common heart attack warning signs. Now, it's not fun to talk about different warning signs of heart attacks, is it? Like no one's like, oh, yeah, it's, let's, let's focus on that. But if something begins to happen to you and you begin to feel sick or nauseous or have chest pain, like you, you want to know these things. Or if it happens to someone you love, you want to be aware of the, the signs of a heart problem. Now, in today's scripture passage, we're talking about the signs of a heart problem, warning signs of something that might be wrong on the inside. Now, Jesus, in our passage today, he addresses the heart of the Pharisees. They have a heart problem. Really, what, what a heart problem demonstrates is a, uh, a lack <laughs> a lack of uh, the right faith, the true faith. See, we can have a, a pure heart that leads to life and grace and joy, or we can have a, a heart problem that, that leads to, to death and, a, and away from God and away from Jesus. And so we here today, we need to have right hearts that lead to God, not away from him. We all want this. And so we're going to look at this passage, look at Jesus as he talks to the Pharisees and to the experts in the law, and as he addresses their hearts, we're going to look at our hearts. A man named Luke wrote this gospel, and he did not write the gospel of Luke so we could look at the Pharisees and the experts in the law and be like, wow, they're so bad, and then just walk out the door. He wrote it, included this in the record so that we could examine our lives, so that we could change course if we're like the Pharisees, so that we could address our heart disease if we find it there. And so today, we're going to be looking at warning signs of a heart problem. My first kind of intro is that we may have a heart problem. I don't want to say you do have a heart problem because I can't see your heart. God can. God can see all of our hearts. We may have a heart problem. We're going to look at verses 37 through 41. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. 
So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. We're going to pause there for a moment to just discuss, you know, when you I don't know about you, but when like I walk out of a restroom and I see someone else just not wash their hands as they exit the restroom, like I'm really grossed out by that. I'm like, please just wash your hands. This Pharisee, this is not that point. Like this is not the issue that he is getting at. He's not like, wow, Jesus, like you really have a lot of germs on your hands. You should have washed them. That's not what the Pharisee is getting at at all. See, he believed in this tradition, this tradition uh, recorded in the Talmud about kind of ceremonially washing your hands to cleanse them from any uncleanness, any sin, any uh, spiritual dirt that you had picked up when you're out about your duties, when you're going through life at the marketplace or anywhere else. And so the Pharisees, the the scribes, they had uh, invented these extra-biblical traditions. Extra-biblical means it's not found within the Bible. It's just a tradition that man made uh, in order to make themselves feel better. And we actually find a a fuller description in Mark chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. It says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to, to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many traditions such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. I listened to one pastor who, who was describing it that they would like start with the water and it would go down their fingertips to their palms and they'd let it drip off and then they'd reverse the process. It would go from their palms to the fingertips and just this sort of ceremonial cleansing. And Jesus is saying, well, it's not about what's on the outside of the cup. It's not about what you do with your body. God doesn't actually care as much about that. He cares about what's on the inside. And we see this in the next couple verses. Verse 39, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you, Pharisee, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean to you. See, Jesus is saying, it's not your ceremony, it's not your, your kind of the things that you go through, it's what, what's happening on the inside that matters before a God. It's not your religious traditions, it's not those things that God cares about, it's your heart. Now we're going to look at these six signs, these six woes. Now a woe is like one of those words that it kind of means what it sounds, like bang. It kind of means what it sounds. A woe is like a, a curse or a judgment. Woe to you, Pharisees. And these curses, these judgments, they act as signals to them that they're doing it wrong. They act as signals to us thousands of years later that like, they were doing it wrong and what can we pick up here? They also have some of the consequence mixed into the judgment. So it's like both a judgment and a revelation of the consequence. So we're going to look at these six signs, and there's two sets of three. There's two sets of three. The first set is to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, uh, they, they were zealous for their traditions. They were passionate about the law, and they wanted everyone to obey it. 
And if I were to compare the kind of the, the Pharisees to us, I would say actually the Pharisees fall into the category of laity. Now, laity is a church word, but laity means like the non-professionals, like the non-paid church ministers. So pretty much everyone, normal, everyday men and women who are passionate about God, who are passionate about God's word. So this applies to all of us. So I'm, I'm so happy that this part of the sermon does not apply to me. Uh, we're just going to focus on you for a little bit. It actually does apply to me. We're going to get to the leadership in the second half of the sermon passage. But first, we're going to look at three warning signs uh, of a heart problem for laity, uh, for normal, everyday people who are trying to, to love and follow Jesus. And the first warning sign is a love of religiosity over love of neighbor and love of God. Love of religiosity over love of neighbor and love of God. So... What does religiosity mean? <laughs> religiosity is like going through the motions. Anyone that, that loves to come to church and sing the songs and give their offering and maybe they volunteer and they, they really appreciate kind of the traditions that we go through week by week reading the scriptures. But then the same individual can go to work the next day and just scream and yell at a coworker. Or scream and yell at someone who makes a mistake on their project. It's kind of how I would define religiosity. It's, uh, it's going through the motions, but it doesn't sink into the heart. And Jesus, in our passage, he says that well, you're called to, to love God and love your neighbor. Verse 42, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. See, these, these Pharisees, they, they, were, they were good religious people. They gave their dues. They gave their time. Uh, they would they'd actually give like a tenth of their garden herbs. So they were, they were tithing, but they would actually like measure out like your herbs from the garden and, and cut up like a tenth and make sure to give it to the to the temple. And the Old Testament law doesn't actually say you have to do this. <laughs> but they just wanted to be so precise. And Jesus is saying, you care more about that, you care more about your religious specifics than you care about justice. Well, what is justice? Justice is loving your neighbor. It's caring for the poor. It's, it's watching out for the least of these in our society and in their society. You, you love your traditions more than you love God. See, the, the Pharisees, they were breaking the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment in the Bible is love God. And the second greatest is love your neighbor. They were, they were like at the 15th commandment, love tradition. <laughs> Jesus doesn't condemn them for wanting to go through the, the motions, the tradition. He's not saying that's actually a bad thing. He's saying it just... You have your priorities mixed up. You're called to love me first. Now, we never do this, right? Like we never get caught up in just kind of going through the motions and forget about what God actually cares about. Except we do sometimes. How many of us have, have said, you know, I just want to make sure that like, I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. 
but I'm just going to focus on like making sure I'm, 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 I'm given to the church, I'm, I'm there every weekend, I'm singing, and then just surviving the rest of the week as we ignore the relationships around us and ignore our relationship with God. See, we can fall into the same trap of loving religiosity when God cares about us loving our neighbor and loving God. Notice that when Jesus says in, four, in verse 41, he doesn't say like, you know, as long as you have great church attendance or as long as you, uh, you know, have all of your doctrine right, as long as you have all your ducks in a row, everything will be clean to you. He doesn't say that. He says, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean to you. And I don't know about you, but I, I tend to prioritize other things besides being generous to the poor, about loving my neighbor. So this is a call. This is a call for all of us to say, are we loving God and loving our neighbor? Or are we loving tradition? All right, so this is the, the first warning sign of a heart problem. Well, what's the second one? It's a little bit shorter. Pride, verse 40. Uh, verse 43, woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So in their synagogues, you know, the elders, the, 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 the really great teachers, they had these seats up front that they could sit in and then face the congregation. And, and I don't think like the location of their seats was a sinful thing. In fact, if you go to to some congregational churches or any churches, even today, you'll see chairs up front and people will sit up front. The leaders in the church may sit up front during the scripture reading or the worship or even during uh, the sermon. Now, is that indeed like a sinful act? Like, should you take an ax every time you go into one of those churches and just start chopping the chairs? No. You're shaking your head yes, Bernie. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. I'll make you sit up here one week when I, when I preach. Uh, no, it's, it, it, he, he identifies the heart attitude. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats. You, you want to sit there because you want attention. You have pride. You have an ego problem. See, there's a connection between the heart and the head, both in a good way but also in a bad way. If our heart's in the wrong place, our, our mind is gonna be in the wrong place too. We're gonna wanna make it all about us. This is especially a challenge for anyone uh, who like, ever does anything up front in church. So it can be a challenge for myself as the preacher. Like I, I, I wanna look good. I wanna have a good sermon. I wanna have a five-star rating uh, for all my sermons. How about the worship team? You know, do we get up here and sing because we want people to see us singing? Is the only time we ever like pray is when we have the opportunity to pray in front of others? Oh, if that's us, if that's me, then we really need to examine our hearts. Because it's not about being better than others. How about in our normal everyday lives? We live in New England, so it's not particularly like a popular thing to say, like, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and be all about that. And so, like, you probably don't tell your coworkers, like, I go to church in order to gain social standing in their books. But have you ever, like, felt better than them? 
because of how they act on the weekend. Like, you go to church, they go to the bar on the weekend. Well, that's a little bit of pride in there. That's a little bit of a heart problem. That we can confess, we want to bring it before God and lay it down and say, I need to be forgiven for this, but that's, that's a heart problem. Let's look at the next verse. The third woe to the Pharisees. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. So the third warning sign is infecting others. The Pharisees, uh, let's, let's start with this unmarked graves. What's that about? So according to Numbers, this is an Old Testament law. If you stepped on a grave, if you touched a grave or you touched bones, you were ritually unclean for a week. And then you had to go through this whole process at the end of the week to become clean again. So you did not want to step on an unmarked grave. It just made your life difficult. And if you stepped on a, a you walked along the path and you, you had no idea, and then someone later said, oh, you stepped on a grave, well, then you're unclean. And Jesus is really insulting these Pharisees. He's saying, you make people unclean by coming in contact to you and by following after you and listening to what you have to say, you make people unclean. See, if we, if we love our religiosity today and if, we, if we're prideful, like we're going to infect others. We're going to hurt others. Because people will come in here and we'll be so focused on like our traditions and getting everything right and how we want it and it's perfect that we're not going to be loving them. They might get hurt by that. Or our pride. I think we've all been hurt by someone who has made their faith about them and not about Jesus. And we can unintentionally do that too. Ego destroys. So these are warning signs for us. Back in the 1800s, I think it was 1846, there was a Hungarian doctor named Ignaz Samelweis. Ignaz Samuelwise. I think I have that remembered correctly. Uh, and he, he was studying uh, birth, birth statistics, and people that were giving birth. And he discovered that there were a lot of people that were dying either during childbirth or their babies were dying right after childbirth. And he looked at two different wards, two different clinics, and he found that there was a, a clinic where doctors and students, they were they were helping deliver babies, and then there was a, a, a ward where midwives were helping deliver babies. And the clinic where the doctors and the students were going and were helping, the, 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 the death rate was like five times higher than that for the midwives. They were getting sick and dying within a, a day of two of giving birth. And so he began to ask, well, why is this? This shouldn't be the case. And so he began to study and he, he was studying all these like weird things. One of the things he tested was, I guess after someone died, a priest would walk around the ward and ring the bell. And he thought maybe like the ringing the bell was scaring people to death. So he's like, you should stop that. And so they stopped it, but then the death rate did not change at all. So that's good news for all of you guys. There's a, you know, a pastor nearby. Uh, and then he, he tried some other things. And finally, he got to hand washing. He said he had the, the doctors uh, and the students dip their hands in chlor chlorine uh, before they went in and uh, helped the, the mothers give birth. 
And that, that drastically reduced the, no, the number of deaths, both from mothers and infants. And see, what he discovered was that the doctors, this was like a new period of discovery in the sciences. They had just gotten comfortable with uh, studying dead bodies, corpses. And so the doctors and the students, they would go literally from studying someone who had just died, perhaps from a disease, to going and giving birth without washing their hands. They would just take the disease from one to the other. And that would get them infected and they sometimes died. He made this discovery and he began to tell people about it. And he was pretty blunt. And the doctors rejected him. Like the whole scientific community was like, no, you can't be right. Because it made them look bad, right? They didn't want to admit We're killing our patients. (laughs) I don't want to admit that sometimes my version of religiosity can lead to spiritual death for others. But if it becomes about me, if it becomes about me feeling good about my traditions, about checking off my my religious feel-good chart for the week, I need to confess that. I need to come uh, to the one who can save me, the one who has the antidote, the one who can dip me in those cleansing waters. There's only one. See, we're all born actually in infection. (laughs) We're all born under the weight of sin. We're all born under the judgment, under the woe, under the sin, under the curse. Romans talks about us all being sinful. We're all condemned before God. We all fall short of God's glory. And see, we're, we're in desperate need of healing. We're in desperate need of the anecdote, the antidote. And so God provided that. God provided that by coming into this world, by being born with all of its dangers and all of its risks. He became an infant. The Son of God took on human flesh, and that's who Jesus is. God stepping into this world to take on our infection, to take on our sin, and then die. (laughs) Take the ultimate penalty for us, to sacrifice himself for us. So that three days later that we're going to celebrate on Easter here in just a couple weeks, I hope you'll be here, three days later, he rose from the grave and defeated sin and death and says, any who believes in me, any who looks upon me and says, I I believe in Jesus, I do not believe in myself, I do not trust myself, I do not trust my religiosity, I recognize at the end of the day that I am prideful and I need a Savior, anyone who looks on Christ receives life. Life everlasting. The infant came to die for us so that we could live. That's the solution here tonight. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't received his healing touch, I pray that you would seriously consider receiving him. Receiving him as your Lord and as your Savior. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep looking at these these signs, but now we're going to transition. We're going to transition to looking at warning signs of a heart problem for leadership. Now, I'm going to read verse 45. It says, One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And so Jesus went on to say, Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I insulted you. 
let's just go on to the next course in our meal. No, Jesus takes advantage of this opportunity to deal with the religious leaders. We're going to talk about this now. Like, so, so who does this apply to? Well, certainly to myself, pastor, but it also applies to our elders. So four guys, three guys that were up here. But it also applies to our deacons, right? Because you don't just lead through teaching. You also lead through your actions and how you serve. That's an act of leadership. If you serve as one of the ministry team chairmen's, You hold a position of leadership. Maybe you're leading a small group. You're also a leader. Maybe you're a teenager and uh, and you read the scripture passage. You try to be extra helpful at at the youth Bible study. That's a position of leading others. Maybe you're interested in becoming a leader of the church one day, an elder, a deacon, a pastor. Well, then we can all pay attention. We can all learn from these three warning signs for leadership. So the first one is loading others down with rules and regulations. Verse 45 and 46. We read verse 45. Verse 46 says, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law. So these, these are like the professional interpreters. These could be the scribes. These could be uh, the people that are uh, inventing the traditions. This could be the ESV, and a lot of translations translate it, you lawyers. <laughs> so these are people that, that were paid to study and argue and win. <laughs> so this is the leadership. But you lawyers, but you experts in the law, woe to you because you load down with burdens, you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Loading others down with rules and regulations. See, the, 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 the Bible doesn't cover everything. The Old Testament doesn't give a law, a rule for every situation. And so the, the Pharisees, the experts in the law, the lawyers, they came up with things like the Talmud, the extra-biblical tradition, to fill in the gaps. They said, well, okay, there's, there's a situation where the Bible doesn't talk about it. Let's, let's give a detailed answer to what you should and should not do. And what that meant was there was just like this, this, this huge like, okay, so you're supposed to obey the law, but then you're also supposed to obey these, all these other little rules. And they themselves wouldn't follow these rules. They would figure out ways to get through the loopholes because that's what they were trained to do. And so they were loading others down with rules and regulations, but then they weren't even following themselves those rules and regulations. Now, I don't think this means that like, you have to get rid of your bylaws, <laughs> you have to get rid of your, your playbook, your, your, your policies and procedures. Those are all organizational things as a church, like how we run a church. But what if we, the elders, came up with like, a list as long as our playbook or our bylaws about how you had to be a Christian. <laughs> like we listed in detail what you could do, the days of the week, what restaurants you could go to, what bars you could not go to, what movies you could watch, what movies you should not watch, what movies you can't watch, what music you can listen to and you can't listen to, what websites you can visit and what's you, what you can't, where you can shop and where you can't shop. 
and you were like, man, I really wanted to try out this restaurant, but in the, the Cornerstook playbook of the Christian faith, it says, like, we cannot go to Bertucci's. I don't know what's up with that. And then you found out, like, Andy Bradshaw is ordering takeout from Bertucci's. This just seems so wrong. <laughs> That's like an example. That's a silly example, but there are more serious things that, that we as elders and leaders, get to wrestle with? How can we make sure that, that we're following Jesus and that we're, when we say this, do this, or don't do that, that we're just reflecting God's word, trying to, to teach it truthfully? That's a challenge. It's a good challenge, but it's a challenge. So this is the, the first sign. The, the second sign is Resisting God's message and messengers. This is verses 47 through 51. This is where it says, Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. I'm not going to read the rest. It's a fairly confusing paragraph. I think what Jesus is saying in this paragraph, he's saying, you, you look back at your ancestors. Your ancestors killed the prophets. So the experts in the law who lived... 500 years ago, they killed the prophets. And now as a way of distancing yourself from your ancestors who did that thing and saying, well, if I had lived back then, I wouldn't have made the same mistake as them. So a way of doing that is by, by building these tombs, these monuments that then are, you know, act as symbols of your innocence. But that doesn't do you any good because you're actually rejecting an even greater prophet. You're rejecting the Messiah. You're rejecting me. So you've actually condemned yourself because you said, well, I'm not as bad as my ancestors, <laughs> but you're just as bad as your ancestors because you're uh, abandoning the Messiah. You're rejecting the Messiah. You're, you're rejecting Jesus, God's messenger, and you're re rejecting the teachings of Jesus, God's message. One of the absolute requirements for being uh, an elder or a leader at Cornerstone is having a teachable heart attitude. Like, if, if you don't have a teachable heart attitude, there's no, there's no possibility of being one of the leaders. Because we want to have men and women lead and shepherd us who care about us, our elders, our deacons, who are willing to hear God's message, who are willing to, 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 to have people come to them and say, this is what I think God has to say for us, being willing to listen. And that, goes, that connects right to number one because it's a challenge, right? We're supposed to take the message and then be Berean. Maybe you've heard of the Bereans and look at God's word and say, does your message line up with God's message, God's word? Because we want to ultimately fall under the authority of the scriptures, of God's word, of God's teaching. Because at the end of the day, that's who we answer to. And so we always want to check our hearts to make sure we're not resisting God's message and God's messengers. That's the second sign of having a heart problem. The third one is hindering others from understanding God's word. 
verses 52 through 54. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge you yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. See, these experts, they got people so caught up in in learning the, the extra biblical traditions, all the rules and regulations that they didn't learn God's word. They didn't learn what God had to say. Didn't learn the law. They were even more confused once they encountered them. This is a challenge for us today, too, as as teachers, as those who teach either through our words or by our example. When people see us and our example, are they walking away understanding more of what it means to follow Jesus? When they hear what we say, whether it's teaching or otherwise, does it become more clear and understandable, like, okay, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to be saved by grace. This is what it means to having a living relationship with, with the living God. We don't want to hinder others from understanding God's word. We want to help others. Now, we as laity, everyone, and then the leadership, we've gone through these six woes, these six signs. and We might feel a bit condemned. Like, we have fallen short, and it's true. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of Jesus' perfect example. And this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need forgiveness. This is why we need to come to the one who was not prideful. Jesus had all the, 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 the reasons in the world to be prideful, but he humbled himself, and he came into this world. Jesus didn't come to love religiosity. Jesus came to to demonstrate love for neighbor as he healed the poor and cast out demons and and spent time with the the outcasts. He loved his neighbors and then he he spent time in in the wilderness just praying and being in relationship with his father. He loved God perfectly. He taught God's God's word perfectly truthfully. He didn't infect others. He came to cleanse others. He didn't come to burden people. He came to set them free. See, Jesus came and did all of this so that he could pay the penalty for our sins and rise again. And he says, I'm going to give you, if you put your faith in me, I'm going to give you the perfect record. As if you were a laity without error. As if you were just a normal, everyday person who had honored God every single moment of your life. That's what it means to become a Christian. This is the gospel where Jesus puts all of his like, perfect record on us and we put our sinful record on him and there's this beautiful swap, this gospel exchange that I'm somehow innocent spiritually even though I don't look like it in normal everyday life and, I, and Jesus takes my sins. And I, I begin over the course of my life to become more and more like Christ. That like, There is this heart exchange. I have a new heart through the Holy Spirit but then I align my actions in my life with that new heart over the course of years. So what's the ultimate call for us? Well, the ultimate call is just to bring your heart problem to Jesus. Bring your heart problem to Christ. I wanted to go back to the, the story of my dad because uh, this last year uh, he had some more medical tests done. And the doctor... So he went to the doctor because he was having issues, and 
they did like an EKG test, and I asked him if I could share all this, and he said yes. Uh, <laughs> give you his medical history. There's a copy machine in the back if you want to you make uh, copies. Uh, and uh, so he did this test, and it came up clear, but he complained, like, I'm having dizziness and shortness of breath. Uh, and so they're like, well, we're going to do some more issues, and uh, like a treadmill stress test. I, I don't think I've done one of those. Uh, and and the, the doctor said, I think you have like a, a clog. He called it a, a widow maker. Like you have a serious issue. We need to go in there with a catheter, heart catheter, and take care of the, the issue. And so my, my dad went to the elders of his church and asked them to pray for him and anoint him. And they did. And then he spent some time in the week leading up to this procedure in prayer. And he said he was having just a time of prayer, and he felt like the Holy Spirit, like, like the, his heavenly Father, like entered into the room in a special way, and he just felt his Father's presence. And then when he went to the doctor on Friday, the doctor said, there was nothing there, and you have the heart of a 20-year-old. <laughs> and my dad says, like, the Father healed me. The Father cleansed my heart. See, that's what he can do for us. That's what the message of Jesus is. Jesus comes into our lives. He takes all of our sin. He takes all of our junk. And he gives us a clean heart. This is the, the message of Christianity. That if you repent and put your, your faith and trust in Jesus instead of yourself, like, like a whole heart transplant has taken place. You have now the heart of the perfect one and the perfect one has taken your old heart and put it to death. And so this is a call for us to just bring our heart problems to Jesus. Maybe you have a heart problem that doesn't even have anything to do with the, the sermon tonight. You can bring that heart problem to Jesus too. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus can change our hearts. Thank you for the grace salvation that he offers. We love him so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.